Well, if you uh, have your Bibles, turn with me to Galatians chapter 2. And this evening we're going to look at verses 11 to 14, but before uh, we do that, we're going to uh, say together the words uh, of the verse that we've been learning, Uh, Galatians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, which is uh, Paul's kind of summary of the gospel at the beginning of his letter, uh, which I'm sure you've all learned enough to not need uh, all of the words up there uh, on the screen. I suppose I shouldn't have got you to turn to chapter 2 until after we've done this because you can cheat, but I'm going to trust that you, you won't do that and you'll just look at the, the screen uh, so we can say these uh, words together. But let's, uh, let's read together as a congregation, Galatians 1, 3 to 5. Grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Well done. Well, let me read to you Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 to 14. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face, because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles, because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy, so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Cephas in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? This is God's word. And I've called this uh, sermon an apostle acting up. Acting up. Because this really is what Peter is doing. He is acting. And he's putting on a pretty good act. Uh, Many of you may have heard of the actor Daniel Day-Lewis. He's retired now. uh, But he's famous for many film roles Uh, most notably ones that he's won an Oscar for uh, three times. Uh, So he played uh, Christy Brown in My Left Foot, uh, Daniel Plainview in There Will Be Blood, and perhaps most famously of all, he played Abraham Lincoln uh, in the film Lincoln. Uh, But Daniel Day-Lewis, as well as being famous for the roles he played, uh, is also famous for the way that he prepares for his roles where he totally, in preparation, immerses himself in the role he's about to play in a way that is beyond uh, what you would call normal. So he also uh, played a role in The Last of the Mohicans. And in playing that role beforehand, he learned to live off the land and to forage for his food where his character would have lived 
and camped and hunted. And he did all of that and the fishing and he lived out there for a decent period of time, even learning to make a canoe out of wood in order to play this role in that film. He also uh, played... Uh, the, uh, the, uh, Jerry Conlon, who was falsely convicted of an IRA terrorist bomb in the film In the Name of the Father. And he lived on prison rations to lose 30 pounds in weight. He spent extended times in jail and went without sleep for two days and was even interrogated on set by real policemen to get the, the real feel for the role. He even asked the crew to hurl abuse at him and throw freezing cold water over him. And when he played Abraham Lincoln, he would not allow anyone with an English accent to speak to him for the whole time that he was playing the role. So he could maintain his American accent for the whole time of the shoot. Now, there are other stories you can read about of of other roles where he does this kind of thing And he kind of becomes his character for a long period of time. It must be really weird to be in his family uh, when he's preparing for a film role. But however well Daniel Day-Lewis acts a part, the roles that he plays are not really him. However convincing he may look, he is still Daniel Day-Lewis. And that is the nature of the word hypocrite. Hypocrite is a Greek word that literally means to speak from behind a mask. And it comes from this world of acting, where in the Greek times, actors would cover their faces with masks in order to play the part they were supposed to play. Uh, Here is a picture of one. I don't know what part he was. It looks like a a horror movie, doesn't it? But this is an example of a mask uh, that an actor would wear and speak from behind. That's what the word hypocrite means. That's why as well, by the way, if you ever see, like in the Cub Scouts, a badge for for drama or uh, you see signs for acting, they're usually masks of those, those kinds. And when we by words or actions or even silence or inaction, give reason to think we are different from what we really are, we are being a hypocrite. When we are acting different to what we believe, we are being a hypocrite. Uh, An example of that is at at the moment um, with the World Cup going on, many people are speaking out against human rights, abuses, whilst at the same time flying over there to watch the games and taking money uh, from that regime. That's an example of hypocrisy. And tonight we see here with Peter, he acts the part of a Jewish separatist when he really believes in his heart the gospel that joins Jews and Gentiles together. He is acting. He is being, as Paul describes him, a hypocrite. And tonight, what we're going to do is examine this. When do we act differently to what we profess to believe regarding the gospel? Or in the words of verse 14, not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. 
The bigger picture here in Galatians is that we're in chapters 1 and 2 where Paul is answering the question, can we trust Paul and his gospel? He's under attack from false teachers. They're saying he's not a true apostle. And Paul is giving uh, proofs that he really is. So we've seen uh, his proposition in uh, chapter 1, verses 11 and 12, that his gospel is not of human origin, but of divine revelation from Jesus Christ. And we've seen so far four proofs that Paul is a real apostle so that we can trust his gospel. We've seen the experience of his conversion. We've seen that there was an absence of other apostles in that conversion. We saw how his adversaries are undermined. We've seen how him and the other apostles are united in their message. And tonight we see the final proof, which is the Antioch incident, which is what we read of in verses 11 to 14. And this incident, Paul shows that he's not subordinate to the other apostles. Rather, when he sees wrongdoing, when he sees hypocrisy in those apostles, he is willing to speak truth to them and call them out on it. And so Paul is showing here how he is not subordinate to them, but he is willing to show them when they are doing wrong. And he does that when he sees them in hypocrisy. John Stott says that when Paul visited Jerusalem... Peter, together with James and John, gave him the right hand of fellowship. Do you remember that in uh, verses 1 to 10? But when Peter visited Antioch, Paul here opposes him to his face. So when Paul goes to Jerusalem, they give him his right hand. When Peter comes to Antioch, Paul gets in his face. And Paul stands here against hypocrisy. And that's our first uh, point this morning, or this evening rather, an apostle stands condemned. Look at verse 11 with me. When Cephas came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. Uh, Cephas is another name for Peter. Uh, Cephas is Aramaic and Peter is Greek. So in different languages, names have different things. I always get irritated when I go to France and people see my name and they call me Stéphane, which is not French for Stephen. French for Stephen is Etienne. So I should get called that when I go there, but anyway. But there's two uh, languages uh, where the name is different and that's what's going on here. Cephas is Aramaic, Peter is Greek. And since Aramaic was the language spoken by most of the Jews, Paul, speaking to another Jew, calls him with his mother tongue. And Cephas, or Peter, comes to Antioch. Now, Peter is an important apostle. He's one of the foundational planters of the early Christian church. Peter is held in high esteem. We saw that last time. In the life of the church, across the known world at the time, there were not many men held in higher esteem than Peter the apostle. Now, we're not told why Peter was in Antioch. Uh, no doubt he wanted to see uh, how this church in Antioch was doing because Antioch, outside of Jerusalem, was the most prominent church of the day. When the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem fled, a large proportion of them went to Antioch. And so Peter, no doubt, was visiting many of his friends that he would have known in Jerusalem. 
And Antioch was a a hotbed of, of different cultures, but it prided itself on its toleration. And even the Jews in Antioch were not as separatist as they were in other places. We see in Acts, uh, a great many people came to faith in Antioch. It would have been a very multi-ethnic, multicultural church. And since this group was made up of Jews and Gentiles, the local population had to come up with a name for this group. And Acts tells us that in Antioch, they were first given the nickname Christians. They, they couldn't figure it out. They weren't quite Jewish. They didn't follow any other religion. And so they called them Christians or Christ followers. And it was the first known use of the term in Antioch. Antioch was a wealthy church compared to Jerusalem. And we saw last time in Antioch, they were able to help the churches in Jerusalem when there was a famine. And it was in Antioch that Paul opposes Peter. Now, to oppose means to stand against or to to push back against. There should be a unity in this church. They should be walking together, as we saw them when they had the right hand of fellowship. But here, there is a clash. Notice how Paul opposes Peter as well to his face. This is not behind his back through gossip, but to his face in confrontation. We could literally say uh, and translate this as, Paul gets in Peter's face. That's what's going on here. Why did Paul do this? Well, verse 11 says that Peter stands condemned. Well, condemned, we must remember here, doesn't mean he's bound for hell. He's condemned to hell. Rather, it's better perhaps translated as he was at fault or he was to be blamed. So it's not a condemnation of a non-Christian. It is Peter doing something wrong that he is to be blamed for. Now we'll see shortly that what he was doing wrong was being a hypocrite. But before we move on to there, I just wanted to point something out that's important in terms of leadership. Peter was an eminent man in the church. He was possibly the most well-known Christian of the time. But no leader is beyond the ability to fall into serious sin or error. No leader. In many ways, Peter was the biggest apostle of all, but here he falls into error. And sadly, in recent years, uh, we've seen many leaders in churches fall, haven't we? Now, Peter here, we're going to see, he does repent of his error. He didn't sin in such a way that disqualified him from his ministry. But sadly, we have seen many multiple big-name leaders fall into sin and forsake the faith. And for those who are in leadership in our church, whether you are an elder, a deacon, a leader in the youth and children's work, None of us should ever think that we are beyond falling seriously if we do not watch our lives and listen to the rebukes of others, like Paul gives a rebuke here. Which leads me on to another point, that no leader, however 
big name they may be, however eminent they are in the life of a church, no leader is beyond challenge either. So no leader is beyond falling into error, but no leader is beyond challenge. John Calvin writes on this, Notice that, they, that Paul did not spare Peter, despite the fact that they were friends, and despite the dignity and nobility of Peter's office, which might have led him to overlook the fault. If you see sin or error in a leader, then you have every right to oppose them and you actually have an obligation to. Now, bear this in mind. Peter, uh, Paul rather, speaks to Peter's face. He doesn't go behind his back. So we must not challenge by gossip, but rather speak to them face to face. And I would say that you are free to challenge the leadership of this church if you see us in wrongdoing. Paul writes to Timothy, those elders who are sinning, you are to reprove before everyone so that the others may take warning. It is right that when we see error and sin in a church, it is challenged. So no leader is beyond falling. No leader is beyond challenge. And thirdly, no leader should be followed then blindly. We must hold our leaders' words and actions against the scriptures and follow them as they lead us according to the scriptures. Not blindly. You don't follow the elders of this church because of their names. Not that any of us are that eminent. But you follow us when we lead you according to the scriptures, you see? Here we'll see Peter was being followed when he was doing something that was against the scriptures. And that is wrong. So in verse 11, we see an apostle that stood condemned. But the reason for this the reason for why he stood condemned is what the rest of verses 12 to 14 are all about. Notice in verse 12, uh, the, word, uh, the verse begins with the word for. So here is the reason that Peter stands condemned. And we see that hypocrisy is called out. So that's the second point here. Hypocrisy is called out. Now, to understand the hypocrisy, we need to understand the importance in the ancient world of the dinner table. A mealtime in these days was an important social occasion. It showed who your people were, it, who you welcomed into your life, who you were welcome to join socially, said a lot about where you stand in the community. This, by the way, uh, was not a fellowship hall like we have next door. Now, you, you might think, well, kind of Peter was sat at the table over uh, by the, 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 the Sunday school cupboard and, and the others were, were stood near the kitchen. It's not a fellowship hall here. They didn't, I don't think at this time, had a, have a fellowship hall. They would meet in each other's homes. So what more likely was going on was that Peter was not going to other people's houses. He wasn't engaging with them. He wasn't showing that they were his people. He wasn't saying that others were welcome in the homes that he met in. The dinner table was a big uh, social uh, gathering that spoke a lot to the community, which is why Jesus was criticized for eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners. 
Jesus was saying, I'm accepting these people as, as my family. And that's very much what it was. Eating together was very much a family event. So when you were together with others around their table, you were saying, these are my, my family. Furthermore, Jews would not eat with Gentiles because Gentiles were seen as unclean because they ate foods that Jewish people were forbidden to eat in the Old Testament. That's why Acts chapters 10 and 11 are so radical. If you remember in Acts chapter 10, Peter has a vision on a sheet, the meat on the sheet, that told him that he can eat with Gentiles. He can eat these foods that are unclean in the Old Testament. Jesus declared all foods clean. Peter can now go and eat with Gentiles. And so Peter goes to Cornelius' house. And Cornelius and his household are saved. And they are welcomed into the church. And everybody praises God and are amazed because the Gentiles, just like the Jews, are saved in the same way. And they are welcomed together. And after this, the Jews and the Gentiles, Peter and the Gentiles, would eat together and share fellowship around the table. And that was a big sign that said, we are one. We are together. We are family. All were welcomed around the table in the church as one body. And it was symbolized most of all around the Lord's table, which was part of a meal in the church at this time. And following his experience in Acts chapters 10 and 11, Peter, it seemed, would eat with Gentiles. He would, he would join around the table with them. He would be part of the family. There was unity and there was acceptance and and it showed that the gospel was indeed for all. And that was a really vitally important witness in a place like Antioch, which was, as I've said, a, a, a mixing pot of different cultures. Well, Peter did do this. He did have everyone round the table with him. That was until, notice in verse 12, he did this before Certain men came from James. Do you notice that in verse 12? Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. Now, James was the pastor of the church in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem was a much more predominantly Jewish church. And a delegation, it seems, have come from there to Antioch. They're not necessarily approved by James, but they certainly claimed the authority of James. Uh, that this kind of thing went on is shown actually in Acts chapter 15, uh, where we read this. We have heard that some went out from us without our authorization and disturbed you, troubling your minds by what they said. So that's an example of, of people going out, claiming they were from James, but they weren't really with James's authority. Now, we're not told what these men from James taught. We're not told what they did. What we are told is how Peter responded to them. He, it says, he drew back and separated himself from them. Notice that at the end of verse 12. When they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles. That means he, he limited his social contact with them. And eventually separated himself altogether. So I think uh, the way I'm reading verse 12 there is kind of a process. He began to draw away and he drew further and further and further away until 
he separated himself altogether. He no longer sat around the table in the homes of Gentiles. He only went to the homes of Jewish people who wouldn't welcome Gentiles into their homes. And to separate literally means to mark off by a boundary. It was like building a wall of separation, which you'll know if you remember, I suppose it was a few years ago now, but we did Ephesians. Paul talks about the gospel smashing that wall down. And Peter here is building it all back up again. Peter effectively builds a wall of separation between Jews and Gentiles in the Antioch church by the way he treated the Gentiles as not being part of the family of faith. Why did he do this? Paul says in verse 12, because he was afraid of these men who belonged to the circumcision group. Proverbs chapter 29 and verse 25 says, fear of man will prove to be a snare. And it was for Peter here. Peter was finding his fear a snare for himself and for others. We're not told why Peter feared them. His motives may well have been pure. Some believe that it was to protect Christians who were Jewish from persecution from other Jews who were against them. But whether his motive was good or not, we can guess that he feared the reaction of zealot-minded Jews, whether that would be against him or against his Jewish brothers and sisters. And when we looked at Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, we, see, we saw there are many reasons why we can fear men. He could have feared for his reputation. He could have feared being harmed. If we were kind, we could say that he, he was concerned for the witness to the Jews and not wanting to offend them, maybe. We're not told. But what we are told, and what we do see, is that Peter was being a hypocrite. Because Peter did not really believe that the Jews and Gentiles were separate. That wasn't the gospel that Peter really believed. If he truly believed that, he wouldn't be a a Christian. He had not forgotten his experience in Acts chapters 10 and 11. And the vision that he'd received from God, that wasn't just in his distant past and he had got some kind of um, amnesia. His real self, his true belief, was hidden behind a mask of Jewish separatism so he could act up to this audience from Jerusalem that he wanted to please. And so it's worth asking this question For each one of us, who do you put on a mask in front of? Who do you hide your Christian faith from? To whom do you become a hypocrite? Is it your family? Is it your school friends? Is it your neighbours, your work colleagues, the players in your sports club or sports team? Do you see those people and then put on a mask and pretend that you don't really believe in Jesus? Who do you act the hypocrite in front of? 
Notice in verse 13 the impact of this kind of hypocrisy. The other Jews joined him. Other people with the same ethnic background as Peter thought that this was the right way to behave. And so they joined him. I mean, this is Peter. I mean, this is, this is Peter. Surely we can, we, we've got to do what he's doing. And even Barnabas, Paul says, was led astray. I think as we read that, we should sense an underlying heartache in Paul's words. Even Barnabas. Barnabas was one of the key people in establishing the work in Antioch. Paul and Barnabas worked together in Antioch. They'd been sent out on the mission field from there. Barnabas was a key church planter with Paul. It's almost as if Paul's saying, I can't believe that even Barnabas, even Barnabas was acting the hypocrite here. But hypocrisy leads others astray too as they begin to imitate your act. It's a bit like uh, quoting a movie that you know well or love. Uh, basically, when I was in New York, I was Kevin McAllister from Home Alone for basically the whole time we were there. <laughs> I was quoting that movie every time I saw anything that related to it. And I'd like to think I led my family astray with me, but they just thought I was sad. But when we act up, when we are hypocrites, other people are led astray with us. And it's worth thinking at this point about the specific hypocrisy that Peter was displaying here. The gospel is one where people can come to Christ regardless of social distinctions, whether that be class, skin color, nationality, culture, or anything else. We are united by one thing, and that is what Christ has done for us. If we are excluding people who are members of the church from our lives, then we are playing the hypocrite like Peter did. If we are actively excluding people. So let me ask this. Is there a Christian in our church or a group of Christians in our church, people that Jesus has died for and who have accepted him as their saviour, that you have a distaste for? Are there people in our church that you have a distaste for? Do you avoid foreigners and use the excuse that, well, I can't understand what they're saying? Do you have a distaste for people that have money? Do you look down on people without much education who are, or who are not as perhaps socially polished as you might be? Do you gravitate to people who have similar interests to you or people that hold the same views as you on all sorts of issues like worship styles and things. I guess the best question you could ask yourself might be this. Who do you have around your table? Or whose table do you sit around? And if the answer to that question is no one, then that's another problem, isn't it? For we need to have that Christian fellowship together. Is there a Christian in the church or a group of Christians that you avoid? If so, you are acting like Peter here. 
But we ought to ask this question to ourselves as a church body more widely. Is there a a group of people that we might be excluding by the way that we run our church? So for example, do the times of our events exclude people in certain life stages? Are we accessible for people who are, for example, disabled in our church? Do we think about those things? I think we do, but could we get better? We must not individually or as a church draw back or separate because that's hypocrisy when our gospel says that there is no distinction and we are one in Christ. Paul had to challenge Peter because this was an issue of utmost importance. If this kind of separation was sanctioned and okayed by the founding apostles of the church, then we would end up with two churches, a Jewish one and a Gentile one. This was more than a clash between two apostles. It was a collision between two ways of being Christian. And so Paul opposed Peter to his face because he stood condemned. And the reason why this was so important is because thirdly, hypocrisy is crooked. I use the word crooked because of the phrase in verse 14. Notice what Paul writes, when I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel. The Greek word for acting in line is orthopodo. And in English, if something is, tra- is prefixed with ortho, it is about straightening. So you, uh, if you want your teeth straightened, where do you go? You go to the orthodontist. Uh, an ortho, uh, orthopedics refers to the correction or the straightening out of muscle or bone. And so Paul is saying that, that Peter and those with him were not walking straight, they were crooked. And the straight line that they were not walking was the truth of the gospel. We saw that phrase back in verse 5 of chapter 2. It refers to what Paul preaches, his gospel, that salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. And we can add, for everyone who would accept Christ as their Savior and Lord. And the way that Peter was acting was not in line with the gospel in the way that he treated Gentile believers. And so Paul rebukes Peter in front of them and he tells him to straighten up. Notice what Paul accuses him of in verse 14. He says, You are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. In other words, you, you've gone around... And you, you've, you've been around the tables of Gentiles. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? It's like Peter's living two lives. He's happy to sit with Gentiles around their table. He's been happy to forego Jewish customs in this regard. But now he's forcing Gentiles to follow Jewish customs if they want to really be part of the family of faith. Uh, Notice the word there, uh, force, in verse 14. The word force is actually the same in the Greek as in verse 3, where 
Titus was not compelled to be circumcised. Not compelled and force are the same word in the original. So Titus was not forced to be circumcised, but now Peter's changed things around. He's forcing the Gentiles, if they want to really be accepted, to follow Jewish customs. He's effectively trying to make converts to Judaism when he doesn't even believe himself that this is necessary to be a follower of Jesus. And this act makes the sacrifice of Jesus look like it's not enough and makes the Gentiles seem as if they're not valued by God in the same way as the Jews. In order to to really be accepted by God and really be welcomed into this family, you also need to follow these Jewish customs. And even if he didn't preach that, we'll see the false teachers did, but even if Peter didn't, his actions preached louder than his words which may not even have come out of his mouth. The way he was acting was not in line with the truth of the gospel. He was crooked. Now, we act like this when we separate ourselves and uh, and, 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 are unwelcoming, like we've talked about before. But it's also worth thinking just for a moment, again, to challenge ourselves and our lives and And say, in what ways do I not act in line with the gospel? In what ways is my life crooked? It might be in your lack of welcome, as we've seen, but it it might be in, in how you use your money. It might be in the kind of media you're consuming. It might be in what you're not doing, reading scripture, prayer, attending church and such things. Are you living your life in line with the truth of the gospel? Or are there areas where if we were to look at them, Peter, oh sorry, Paul would be able to get in your face and say, this is crooked. Brothers and sisters, we need to be walking in line with the truth of the gospel in every area of our lives, don't we? So let's examine ourselves in this regard and and even be prepared for someone else to tell us, like Paul does here, where we're not walking in line with the truth of the gospel. Are Are you prepared for a brother or sister to come to you and say, I'm seeing this in your life, this is crooked. That this is not in line with the truth of the gospel. Well, we're not told in this passage what happened next. But it's likely that this incident was before or perhaps even triggered the, Jewish, uh, the Jerusalem Council of Acts chapter 15. Acts 15 begins like this. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch. And we're teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That's what the false teachers were saying at Antioch. You've got to be circumcised if you want to be saved. And the council met in Jerusalem, which was the apostles, including Peter. And there was a unity there. And Peter then goes on to say this. 
After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving the Holy Spirit to them just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. These are the words of Peter. Many believe that these words came after this event in Galatians. Peter was called out on his hypocrisy, and Peter repents of his sin and walks again in line with the truth of the gospel. And may that be our response when our hypocrisy, when our crookedness is called out. May we turn from that and walk again in line with the truth of the gospel. And we can thank God that Paul had the courage to stand in front of Peter and rebuke him because the gospel was preserved. The church of Jesus Christ was not split into two different churches. There was one church under the apostles. Now, Daniel Day-Lewis, we began with, uh, was a a great uh, actor in the way that he immersed himself in his role. But as God's people, let's immerse ourselves in Christ and then reflect him not as an actor playing a role, but as someone whose hearts have been changed and are devoted to him and his gospel, so that it's not an act. We just we naturally walk in line with the truth of the gospel. Let's immerse ourselves in no act at all, but immerse ourselves in Christ. Well, our final song, uh, as we respond, fits perfectly with this message. We welcome one another around our tables in our homes and around the Lord's table, which we're about to share together, because Jesus has welcomed tax collectors and sinners like us around his table. And so our final song, before we come to partake of the Lord's Supper, celebrates that fact. The song is Jesus, Thank You, where we sing, Once your enemy, now seated round your table. And if we're seated around the table of the Lord, how can we possibly exclude others who are also around that table from being around ours? So let's stand together and celebrate the mystery of the cross.